Hmm. All right, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you. What's going on? Anything exciting? No? Hey, Howard. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and start our time together, so we want to take a few minutes and pray and put ourselves in a position to hear from God. Father, thanks for time to meet, place to meet. Thank you, God, for an opportunity to gather and to hear from you and to hear from one another. We ask you that you would lead and guide our time tonight, and we ask you that, God, through what we say and do tonight, you'd be glorified somehow, some way. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak. We pray, God, that we would have an open heart, an open mind, uh, that, God, we'd just be ready to receive. We pray that we'd be in a position to allow you to speak into our places of need tonight and our places where we're wondering or we're or confused or, or maybe places where we have questions or places, God, where we've given up. But I pray, Father, that we'd allow you to speak to us tonight and I pray that we'd be ready to hear and to receive and to grow. God, I ask you that you'd be glorified during this time. And I pray that we'd be ready for all that you have for us. For asking in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. There's some here there uh, around, so feel free. And while you're opening up, uh, we actually have a question slash comment tonight that has come to us from China, mainland China, and uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. If we can get the technology to work, I will play the question for you. You guys ready? Yes. All right, let's give it a shot. All right. That was not it. Just give me a second. All right. And so let's listen to our question. Hi, it's Aaron and Chris. <laughs> we just finished listening to the April 9th Bible study. It was really awesome about Revelation. Uh, it's really encouraging for me. Uh, been asking God for Revelation all week. So it was kind of cool to hear an entire teaching about Revelation. So thanks. Yeah, it's really cool to to listen to it and to get a deeper meaning from it on how to build your relationship with God and how to share revelation with people. So it's really awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. I thank Chris and Aaron for chiming in from China and letting us know about uh, listening to the Bible study over there and uh, what they got out of it. So... Thank you, Chris and Aaron, for that, and thank you for leaving us a message and encouraging us with that. We appreciate that. So if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I need a volunteer to read verses 12 through 15 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Alright, how many people get confused when you hear stuff like that? It's like it goes around, kind of like back and forth and stuff? Alright, that's not too unusual. Uh, that, that seems like a confusing passage. The thing I want you to get out of it, I'm going to just share... The basic notes, when I took my notes off of this, when, I don't know, I was probably reading the Bible or something, 
And while I was reading the Bible, I saw this passage, I looked at it. I don't remember specifically writing stuff down on this. Uh, these are notes that I got that were older, uh, probably from a year or two ago. And, but I know that I, when I read that, I'm sure I looked, had to look at it a few times and say, okay, what is this really saying? And uh, I, as, I, as I did that, I got these notes that came out of it. And here's what I got. And the first and most important thing that we need to get out of this passage is Jesus is not the exception. That's the most important thing I got out of that. Jesus is not the exception. And I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. But Jesus is not the exception. Jesus is the rule. And we all fall under the same rule. All right, that's what I got out of that passage. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, it starts off, that whole passage starts off that it says it's being uh, proclaimed or preached, whatever your Bible says there. As a matter of fact, all right, this is what's being proclaimed and this is what's being preached. Uh, this is a matter of fact. But what does it mean? In other words, what Paul was trying to get at here is that the resurrection was being preached as a matter of fact. The reason it was being preached by, as a matter of fact is because over 500 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected. 500. Now, it takes a lot less people than 500 to establish most historical facts. Most historical facts you read in a history book. Whatever that is, uh, whatever you want, they, less than 500 people witnessed it. Less than 500 people saw it. And so you think about contemporary time here, Paul's writing just, what, however many years after the resurrection, there were people still alive. In fact, there were a lot of those 500 people still alive that had seen Jesus. And so the resurrection wasn't really what was in dispute. The resurrection, the, the idea here that Paul's bringing forth here is like, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead? What does that, what bearing does that have on me and you and the rest of us? Why is it important that Jesus was raised from the dead? Why, why do we care? And how does that affect the gospel that we preach? How does that affect the things that we believe? And the things that God is showing us and the revelation that we receive from him? How is that all working together? And what part does the resurrection, what part does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead play in to our current faith and the current way that we see and interact with the world that we live in? And so those are the, some of the bigger questions. And so the first big takeaway that I got from this is that Jesus is not the exception. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that, this is a foreign concept to the modern church. It is a foreign concept to the modern church that Jesus is not the exception. Because the modern church wants Jesus to be the exception. They say Jesus is the exception. They proclaim Jesus is the exception. Because what does that relieve for you and me if Jesus is the exception? What does that mean? We don't have to be like him. We can't. It's impossible. So give up. You can't possibly be anything like him. And they don't say it that way. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's not like there's people out there saying that particularly. But when you set up Jesus as the exception, and how do you do that in the church? You do that by proclaiming his, his divinity and by proclaiming the life that he lived was based on his divinity. That's how you do that. Why does that make him the exception? How does that separate him for every single one of us? Right. That is correct. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not denying the divinity of Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say by this. What I'm trying to say is, how did he live the life that he lived? How did he do the miracles that he did? How did he live in accordance with the will of God and obedience to God? Those are the kind of questions that really need to be answered. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to deny anything to do with the fact that he, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm not denying any of that. That's all Jesus. The real issue comes down to is how did Jesus live his life? If what he did on this earth was done because he was divine, then he is the exception. Understand that. If what he did on this earth he did because he was empowered of the Holy Spirit, then he's the rule. 
Because what happens with that is that if he did the things he did under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, now why would I say that? Because the Bible says that. But if he did those things, then when he went back to heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, he's telling all of us, go get it. Go get it. He gave us the example. He showed us what it was like to live under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he poured out the Spirit on us. Same Spirit. Right. So, so, so the example, Acts 1038 is one of those verses where it says, where it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So, so how was he empowered? He was an, anointed by the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. All right. That verse clearly sets up an understanding of how Jesus did what he did. He did what he did under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit because God was with him. So, on the other hand of alleviating us from not worrying about doing anything, all of a sudden, if Jesus did these things, you know, and he said in John, he said in the Gospel of John, he's speaking over the disciples, you've seen the things I've done, you'll do even greater. If he did the things he did under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, if he lived the way he lived and he did the things he did under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, then what's he telling us? What's, our, what, what's before us then? Before us is a life that's been modeled by Jesus. And he wasn't the exception. He was the rule. All right? So all of a sudden, we, we, there, there needs to be a new expectation in us looking at that, thinking, okay, well, if he's the rule, then look at the love he's showing people. That's in me. Look at the mercy he's showing people. That's in me. Look at the grace he's showing people. That's in me. Look at the forgiveness and, and all and the patience and the long suffering he's showing people. That's in me. How about all the healings that he did? That's in me. The miracles, the signs, the wonders. That's in me. And then all of a sudden my life looks a little bit different. It looks like it's a little bit different than it did before when he was the exception and I was just doing my best. Because all of a sudden, if he's the rule and I've been empowered to live in that rule, then I need to start building a bigger and better expectation of my own life and of what God wants to use me and what God wants to do through my life. Honestly, some of this revelation was some of the most life-changing stuff that ever happened to me when I was still really young in my Christianity, still really young in my faith, and beginning to understand some of these things. Beginning to understand that that anointing is with me, that God is with me, that I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's He's in me, that rivers of living water are welling up inside of me and they're pouring out through me into other people's lives. There's something really powerful about that revelation. That we're not called to the sidelines. We're not called to stand around and watch it. But we're called into it. Yeah, we're, we're part of this. I mean, Jesus, he spoke about He said, you're my body. We're his body. His hands, his feet. His eyes, his ears, whatever it is, his body. We're his body. Well, that makes sense. We're anointed of the same spirit that he's anointed. He was anointed when he was walking the earth. Makes sense. And so I want to encourage you to something a little bit more. And I want you to think about it, Jesus not being the exception. And, and we really have a hard time getting our brains around that. I know it. And, and people say, so you mean to tell me that you think A, B, or C? And the answer is probably, yeah, I probably do. As weird as that sounds. You mean that we can do miracles and stuff? Yep. We can heal the sick? Yeah. That's what I believe. I believe that. 
I believe that we can be full of mercy and grace. I do. I believe that there's more love that God wants to pour through us than we've experienced up until now. I believe that. I really believe it. But do you have any expectation that it's there or any faith that maybe God will actually do that? A little bit? I, I want to be really part of, of who he is. You know, we, we, like, we like the the logic, like this verse here, the logic of this verse is this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we're going to rise too. But there's a different logic that's presented also with these verses. Like you say, well, it, it happened to him, so it'll happen to me. Well, the other side of that is that if, if it happens to us, it happened to him. Okay, because he's the rule and we're also the rule. And so in the same validation, in that same kind of joining, that hand joining of validation that's taking place here, if Jesus rose from the dead, we're, we're going to rise from the dead. If we rise from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead. It's one and the same. And these verses are proclaiming that. They're proclaiming. I mean, you think about Jesus. He was human. He was dead. He was alive again. We think about us. What are we? Human. We'll be dead. We'll be alive again. That's the proclamation. And how do we make that proclamation? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we'll rise from the dead. Well, we're going to rise from the dead because we're going to rise from the dead. He rose from the dead. There's a handshake going on here that we are all part of the same rule. We're all part of the same thing. I don't have to sit around and wonder about it. Because what this proclaims is if we don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. But we know he rose. You see, Paul started this whole argument. He started this whole thing with they already knew he rose from the dead. And so whatever place in us that doubts that or whatever it is, that place in us that, that didn't exist then, because like I said, 500 people saw it. They weren't doubting about it. You see something and you talk to somebody and you know it's real. You're not really struggling with any kind of faith on that. It is what it is. You know who you talked to today, right? You know who you ran into at work today or who you talked to at work today? Probably. What, do you need a revelation of faith to remember who that was? Well, same for these guys. They didn't need a revelation of faith. They, they had seen, a lot of them had seen Jesus. Paul understood it. Paul knew it. Disciples understood it. They knew it. 500 people saw it. They knew it. It was an accepted reality. But what he wanted them to understand is that they need to own it. In the same way, I can encourage you, own the miracles, own the signs, own the wonders, own the love, own the mercy, own the grace, own all the stuff that we have through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the rule. We need to own the idea that we're going to rise again. It's yours. you got to own it. He rose, you'll rise. You'll rise, he rose. That's the handshake. We're in this together. So in the same way we're in that together, we're in the miracles together. In the same way we're in the rising from the dead, we're into the signs and wonders together. In the same way that we're, we're, in the, we're going to rise again together, we're, we're into the love and the grace and the mercy together. We're all in it together. But somehow I think in us we realize that that's going to maybe, maybe require something of us, Right? And that's the only part we really don't like. Because I can, I mean, I can tell you all about how good it is, and I can tell you all about, you know, just flowing in the power of the Spirit and the rivers of living water just flowing out of you and all the rest of that. But you know what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to require something of us. And that just makes sense. That just makes sense. You see, our connection with Jesus, that's our likeness. And, and Paul makes a statement here. He say, if you can't catch on to this, if you can't make this handshake, then a lot of what you believe is going to be in vain. You've got to make this handshake somehow. And that word vain is kind of a weird word. It means grounded in deception and without real foundation. 
That describes people's faith sometimes, doesn't it? I hope it doesn't describe yours or mine, but it does describe some, I guess. And, and that, that idea is, if we can't make the handshake on this, if we can't put this together somehow in our heart and in our mind, what he's saying is, is that our faith, at least portions of our faith, are in vain. Or grounded in deception and without real foundation. Without reality. I'm pretty convinced that, that we're, we're in a, a place right now where people... More and more people aren't living in reality. I'm pretty convinced by that. And that's just through normal conversations with people. That, that you know, I, I can't help but think years ago, if people talked like they did now about fantastical things and crazy things, somebody would just tell them that they were nuts. And yet they live in a space where all that makes sense to them and no one ever challenges it. Why? I don't know. We've just allowed for it or something. No one says, no, that's wrong. That doesn't make any sense. And this is why it doesn't make any sense. Because people want to live where they want to live and they want to believe what they want to believe and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Well, it, it's important as if it's grounded in some kind of reality. That's important. And I say, well, Andy, you're talking about miracles and, and healings and stuff. That's grounded in reality? Yeah, it is actually. In a greater reality than I can come up with in any other place. It's a greater reality. It's something I've experienced time and time and time again. Something I've seen happen. And I know not everyone believes that. And I know not everyone's going to agree with that. But man, it, it's, it's a place I've lived. It's a place I am, I'm in. And it's not just me. I'm grounding it on the scriptures. I'm grounding it on my relationship with Christ. I don't know how more real I could possibly be. Our rational world is turning to fantasy. Our rational world is, is turning to somewhere in their brains to, to believe stuff. And is that really rational at that point? No. Not at all. And I'm going to take something that, that a God, God has appeared to me. God has spoken to me. God has led me over a period of over 30 years. And he's proven himself over and over and over again. I've seen people healed. I've seen, I've seen lives changed. I, yeah, that's my reality. I, I shook hands with that reality some point, some place, and that's where I choose to live. But to me, that faith is grounded in a truth. That faith is grounded in a real foundation and in a reality. Because these are flesh and blood people that, that went back to their doctors and the doctor said they didn't have the sickness anymore. These are flesh and blood people that went back to the clinic and they found out they don't have the disease anymore. These are flesh and blood people that went back to the cancer center and found out they don't have cancer anymore. These are real things. And as crazy as that could sound to a lot of people, those are real things. This is a reality. And just as much as that's a reality, when I said goodbye to... Uh, my grandfather, I said goodbye to my grandmother, I said goodbye to my mom or my dad, whoever it is that's passed on. I, I said goodbye with a full knowledge and reality, I'm going to see you again. Because I shook hands with that. Some point in my life, I don't, I don't know, I shook hands. I said, I, yeah, that's me and that's you and that's who we are. Let me look at John 14, 19. And someone else, if you could, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. John 14, 19. Anybody? So do you see the, the connection Jesus is making there? Now, there's a couple parts of that I want you to understand. He said, before long, the world won't see me anymore. 
That means not everyone is going to understand what's about to happen. But you will see me. And then he makes a connection to him. He says, this is the revelation that you're called to live in. Talking to his people. It's like, this is your revelation. You'll see me. And because I live, what? You're going to live. That's the handshake. That's the connection. So we live, he lives. He lives, we live. We're in this together. The revelation, and, and I, I'm not even pretending everybody has the same revelation, but we've been given that opportunity to have that revelation and live in it. He hands it to us. We can choose not to. And the revelation I want you to understand through all this is that Jesus and us, we are in this together. He anointed us. Why? To carry on his work. So we need to have an expectation of carrying on his work. He rose from the dead. Why? Because he answered that question. It's done. Because we're connected. Now guess what? We rise from the dead. The revelation is, is that we're connected with him. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 All right, thanks. So again, you have a faith, right? Faith says, Jesus died and rose again. What's the outcome of that faith? Well, who's with him? Everybody else. Okay, why? Because they're in it with him. The faith in the resurrection is not a singular faith. In other words, not just for one person. You know, we celebrate Easter. Easter's awesome. Well, Easter's good. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. He sure did. But guess what? What that says and what that is in reality is we all rose from the dead. All of us. You want to celebrate the one, okay, whatever, but it's, it's more than that. And the revelation is, is that we're, we've, we've put in this and we're all in this together. We live under the same rule. The resurrection exemplifies that. It exemplifies that. We all live under the same rule. If he rose, we'll rise. If we don't rise, neither did he. Unlikely. No. And so his word is true. Okay, and that's part of this is that we're going to believe him or not. If we're going to believe him, we need to believe his word is true. We've got some verses here. Matthew 16, 21. Someone want to look that up? Matthew 16, 21. I'll just do them one at a time. What is Matthew 16, 21? All right, so this is something he proclaimed. This is something he said, right? And so this isn't a, it wasn't a, a lot of times I think, well, everybody's surprised. Well, they sure acted surprised, but how many times did he say it? How many times did he show them? How many times did he, did he let them know? It's like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Okay, that's his word. Okay, Matthew 18, 22 through 23. That's Matthew 18, 22, and 23? Yeah. Excellent. All right, I have no idea why that, I gave you that verse. There was something in my head that was earlier. Because what he's describing, I mean, the verse, and what he's describing the verse is, uh, is a, the idea of the kingdom of heaven. And what he's describing there is this whole idea that, and I think it's kind of interesting that he went away, but then he came back. I believe it's the parable of the talents there. Okay, so he went away and he came back and he was there to sell accounts. Not the parable of the talents? Which one is it? The unmerciful servant. What is it? It was the unmerciful servant. 
Oh, is that the one where uh, the guy owed money and he got forgiven? And then he went after somebody who owed him like not that much money and threw him in jail? Oh, yeah, I have no idea why I did on that one. All right, Luke 9.22. I don't know why I put that there. Luke 9.22. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to death. All right, so again, I'm just all I'm trying to do with these verses is just say, this is what Jesus said. This, this is his word to these people. He's like, this is what I'm going to do, and he did it. And so there's the whole idea of his word that's important and that his word is true. Now, at the end of these verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 15, it talks about, and there's kind of this interesting thing there where it talks about that we make ourselves false witnesses. And then I was really curious about that. Is how do we make ourselves false witnesses when you read those verses? So I want to read the end of those verses again. Say, so read verse 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. For more than that, there are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. All right, so what he's saying there, and this is kind of the interesting thing. He's saying, okay, let's start from the beginning. Jesus is not the exception. He's the rule. We are also, and we join him, we live under the same rule. If we find ourselves in a position where we choose that we're not going to live under that rule anymore, we make ourselves false witnesses. Why? But why? It's, it's more than not believing. There's something, there's something more to it. Because what's a witness? Someone who actually saw what happened. Witness is somebody who sees something. They, they've experienced something, right? Why are you a false witness if you no longer live under the same rule? And? And? You're correct. Everything you're saying is right. Keep going, though. Go back to what I was saying about him being not being the exception. What does that also mean as far as our lives are concerned? Why would we be a false witness when it comes to miracle signs and wonders? We're going to believe for any of that? Yeah, in other words, we're not even expected to live in that, right? Live in the love of Christ, live in the grace, the mercy, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, all those kind of things. So what does our Christianity become? It's a deception, right? It's a deception. And you're right, it's what it is. And the reason it's a deception is because we call ourselves Christians, but we don't live in anything that's real, that's Christ, that is anything that he wants us to live in. In other words, you want to sit around and make something up and say, okay, well, this is what it means to be a Christian? Is that the same thing as having a form of godliness and denying its power? Absolutely. We have the form. In other words, whatever that means... And we can call ourselves whatever we want, all right? I, well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean to you? Well, it means I follow these rules. Nope. I'm a Christian. What does it mean? I dress a certain way on Sunday. No. I'm a Christian. What does it mean? I gather in a specific building on Sundays and Wednesdays and sometimes Saturday nights. No. What does it mean? And so that becomes the real question. Because if being a Christian comes down to whatever you think it's supposed to mean, in other words, oh, well, I'm a Christian because X. That's a false witness. Y or Z. It's a false witness. Because we're saying something that's not true. We're proclaiming something that's not true. And I know I'll get in trouble if I ever say this anywhere, but... I'm just letting you know that, that that's a false witness to, to what Christ really is and who he really is and who he's called us to be. I mean, well, sure. Because anytime you want to self-define, it's, it's, it's usually bad. Right? You self-define yourself as what? Right? It's usually kind of bad. 
And so I, I think there's, there's no exception to Christianity for that. That if we have chosen, even if people that are higher up than us, smarter than us, and have a lot more power than us, choose to define, self-define what a Christian is, I think it's still a deception. I think it's empty, and it's not founded on truth. The only person that can really define what a Christian is is Christ. He's the only one. And he's done that. He did that for us. He lived it out. He actually lived it out. And so think about the logic of this. He lives it out under the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he, he, he gets done living it out as a human being under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes back up to heaven, and he pours out the Holy Spirit on a bunch of human beings that are his body, and he says, all right, go get it. So he gave us the example, and then he empowers us to go and follow the example, not make something up. That's the problem. And so if we're going to make something up, we're going to be deceptive in that we'll be false witnesses. Well, who, who proclaimed that we were witnesses first? That was Jesus. Jesus in Acts 1.8. If you look there. Acts 1.8. Somebody read that for me when you get to it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, so you will be my witnesses. Right. And, and you find that in Acts 1.22, you find that in Acts 2.32, and there's probably 20 or 30 references in the book of Acts where the believers are called witnesses. So we make ourselves false witnesses. And what does that mean? It means that we're not mistaken. We're just deceptive. That's what the word means. And so I don't even want to give you a kind of an off with this to say, oh, I just, uh, I was, just didn't know. I'm just mistaken. Nope. No. Go ahead. Well, right. They're, they're not only are they presenting it back out, they're, they're called to... Now, you think about how a court of law works. How do witnesses come in a court of law? Well, yeah, but they're subpoenaed. All right? Now, and sometimes you willingly go to the stand and be a witness, and sometimes somebody makes you go to the stand and be a witness. All right? So, but the idea is, is that for whatever reason, there you are... You're in the court of law, so you've seen it, you've experienced it, you know the information, and then you're expected to give that information to the court. So, so we've been, so where have we been called? We've been called. Jesus called them witnesses right there. So, so what are we going to present? We're either going to present Jesus in the way that he lived. In the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, we're going to present that, or we're going to present something that's not right. And when you know, when you're speaking in a court of law, somebody tells you, what did you see? And you tell them something that wasn't correct, you know that, right? It's not just you're mistaken. All right. Right. So, Here's where we're at. Now, I'm not saying to make anybody feel guilty because God knows, you know, we don't need that. Uh, you don't need that. Nobody needs that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty at all. What I am trying to do is challenge you, challenge you to not accept a self-definition of what it is to be a Christian. That's what I want to challenge you to. I want to challenge you beyond stuff you make up. And I want to challenge you toward Jesus. Every time I read the Gospels, and I read the Gospels multiple times a year, every time I read the Gospels, I am humbled. Because as I read about Jesus, it's not I'm reading about some, I'm not reading about some guy who was God. I'm reading about some guy that was empowered by the same Holy Spirit that I'm empowered by, and I am humbled by the fact that of all the things that he did. Not to give up but to pray for more. 
to pray for more grace, more love, more mercy, more forgiveness, more of that through me. To pray for more healings, more signs, more wonders, more miracles through me. That's what I'm praying for. And when I say humbled, I mean it really takes me aback to think about here's this guy in three and a half years did more miracle signs and wonders that could fill a whole library of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm barely making it to work on time or whatever the case is. You understand what I'm saying? So that's a humbling experience. But not something that should keep us from moving forward in it. It's something that should really keep us asking for more, seeking for more. What's that? It should be encouraged. Right. It's like this is, this is more. This, this, is, this is something that could be. All right, I want more of this. And if I spend my whole life approaching 1%, 10%, 50%, 90%, 100% of who Jesus was, if I spend my whole life just approaching that, I'm doing good. But I at least have to be moving toward that and have some expectation in my life for it. Or I'm not going to get anywhere near it. And, and, and realistically, you look at this, it's like, well, if, if Jesus rose from the dead, we'll rise from the dead. If we rise from the dead, Jesus rose, he rose from the dead. We're in this together. And if we're in this together, we need to have a healthy expectation that he's with us, that the power of God is in us and through us, and we're going to see something bigger and better than we've seen ever before. That tomorrow will be better than today. And the next day will be better than that day. So we live in a hope. A real hope. It's possible. There's more life. It's possible. There's more purpose. It's possible. There's more to it than what I can see right here and right now. But maybe I'll see tomorrow or the next day. When we get consumed in today. It's hard to see tomorrow. And I understand that. But there is a tomorrow. And there is more. And it's more of what God wants to say, more of what he wants to do, more of what he has for us. So I don't want to be a deceiver. I don't. And, and the reason I say that is that I, I got plenty of problems. Right? We all do. And this isn't, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about not having issues. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about an expectation of what it is to be joined with Jesus. And, and I know that he didn't sin. And, and none of us can claim that. He never did. But that doesn't mean that we need to be the same person next week as we are today either. It means there's hope for more. Personally, there's hope for more relationally. There's hope for more spiritually. There's hope for more where we work, where we play, where we go to school. There's hope for more. And, that, and that's really what I want to be encouraged by tonight, is that there's hope for more. And, and I want to encourage you that, that as I started off here, what does it mean? You know, Paul was preaching the resurrection of Jesus, but what does it mean? Well, it means a lot more than just he rose from the dead. It means that we're joined with him. And so there's a practical side of this that all of us, all of us face loss in our lives. We all face death. We all face loss. Most of us here have lost somebody close to us, whether it be a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle a brother, a sister, and we face that. But we face that as a people with hope. We face that as a people that have an understanding of what Christ has done and what that means is we shake hands with that, that, that that's ours and his, and we're in this together. And so there's something really powerful about that. I've had the opportunity to to, to go to and to be a part of some funerals with people that I know that have lived their whole lives for Christ. And there's something really powerful and peaceful 
and almost joyful about those kind of funerals because we're all in that together. And there's something that you can say and there's something that you can understand and there's something that you can share with people that, uh, that you don't even know, but we are all in it together. When I was at Mary's mom's funeral, there was a guy there that we just went out to eat something. This was uh, the night before. I think it was either the day of or the night before the funeral for her mom. And it was her cousin from Canada, somebody I'd never met before, didn't know who the guy was. And uh, we sat down, we went to IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> and uh, we sat down there, and uh, I seriously had like three breakfast plates while we were sitting there. And I just ate one after the other. And, and her cousin was sitting across from me, the guy from Canada, and he's just watching me eat. He's like, how do you eat so much? Like, I don't know, I'm just hungry, you know. <laughs> I was, I was super hungry, so I was just eating, eating, eating. And we started laughing and joking about it. And, uh, and one thing led to another, and there was a connection made there. And I just remember before we left that place, just praying together and taking the time to do that. And, and I know we were there to, to mourn somebody. I know we were there to say goodbye and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But in a way, I wasn't saying goodbye really at all to, to her because I'm going to see her again before I really know it. But I was really saying hello to him across the table at IHOP with a chance to pray for him to know Jesus and bring him on in with us too. Because he could sense that a bunch of us were there and we were kind of all together and we were in it together in that moment because how do you face death like that and everything's I mean you're going to miss the person I'm not saying everything's great but everything's okay and, and, and when we gathered we, we sang and we shared stories and we, we worshipped together because everything's okay because we're in it together and so there's that practical side of it that we all face that is an eternal, that's an eternal truth that we all face. But then there's the life side of it right now that says, how am I going to live? Am, am I going to live in the power? Am I going to live in the anointing? Am I going to live in, in, the, in the way that Jesus has called me to live? Really? Or am I just going to make something up and call myself something? I think I'd rather live in it. I think I'd rather it be real and powerful and see the miracles, signs, and wonders and see the healings. I think I'd rather have that. So I want to encourage you with that tonight. Uh, there's two different things going on here when he's preaching this. He's saying, yeah, you got the eternal side, you got this. This, this life and death side and all that. He's like, but there's, so, there's something really deeper than that in this. And that is we have really joined hands with God here. And we are really in this together. His body. His anointing. What are we going to do with that? And so I want to encourage you forward in that. Let's take a few moments to pray. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Whatever it is. And... and Again, there's more than one thing going on here. There's more than one thing that, that God is saying, that God is showing here. And so uh, I want you to respond to where God's speaking to you. Right where, where he's speaking to you. I mean, you might be here tonight and you're thinking, nah, I just want to I, I just be in this with Jesus. I want to shake hands. And I want to join in with him and all that that means. On the practical side of life and death and the resurrection and all that means, I want to join in with that and I want to be part of that. So I want to shake hands with him tonight and I encourage you to do that. I really, I just encourage you to do that, to, to really just shake hands with him and to really just join in with him in the life right here and right now, life to come. That, that he rose, you'll rise, you'll rise, he rose. And, and really just shake hands with him and join in with him.
and who he is tonight. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And maybe maybe tonight you're just tired of self-identifying as, well, I'm this or that, but uh, the reality is the reality. And so tonight I, I pray that you can step into a reality tonight. I pray I can step into a reality tonight. And so I want to encourage you to that, that as we shake hands with Jesus, that we're shaking hands with the miracle signs and wonders. We're shaking hands with the healings. We're shaking hands with the love and the mercy and the grace. We're shaking hands with the, the peace and the long-suffering. And we're coming into relationship with, with that. To have a bigger expectation for tomorrow. To, to approach Him. To approach who He is. And to allow that Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, to, to really work through us. For those rivers of living water to flow. To rise up and just flow right out of us. Into the places where we go. Into the places where we work or the school or wherever it is. Our family or our house or whatever. Our apartment. That, but let that flow. To a greater reality. A greater understanding. Of what it is to really identify with Jesus. We've come to bear true testimony, God. Not perfect, but true. True testimony to being joined with you. So God, I pray you fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Pray your anointing on each one of your people tonight. And I ask God that we would respond to you in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray for more. I pray for more of your gifts to be released. I pray for more of your power to be released. I pray, God, even a greater expectation over each one of us for more from our lives, for more into the lives of the people that are around us every day. More, God, into the lives of our family members. More, God, into the people that we run to, our friends that we know, people even at the supermarket or wherever we find ourselves. More, more, God, a, an awareness and, and an expectation, God, that there's just so much more that you have for us and you want to do through us. So God, would you move? Would you move? God, I pray we'd be a, an eternal people. And I pray we'd be a supernatural people. As we go about the lives you've given us to live. Give you thanks tonight for your word. It's true. Give you thanks tonight for the life you give because it's true. Give you thanks for loving us, caring for us, and being with us. Yeah, we give you honor. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.